Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Thank you, everyone. Um, we tried to get flamethrowers for the occasion, but apparently liability insurance or something, I don't know. Um, that was my first act as an ordained pastor. Let's pray together. <laughs> um, I've just been overcome this week, Lord, by the thought that God, all you desire is really good relationship. That's the essence of who you are. That's the essence of life. You desire relationships between one another, relationships uh, in our society, relationships between us and you that has no separation between it. For every person in this room, whether they're here for the first time or the umpteenth, would they hear your voice that says it is so good that they are here today? You are most welcome. That as we sing these songs, that the purest response that we can give is gratitude. Gratitude that there is such a thing called being alive. It didn't have to be, but we're here. And you have come and pursued us and you continue to pursue us. And I don't know uh, what's in the hearts of everyone in this room, what they may think about you. But I pray that um, as we continue this series, would you clear away voices so that they could hear your voice? And your voice says quite simply, I am so glad you're alive. It is good for you to be here. You are welcome. So we receive your welcome, Jesus. We receive the love of God and we wanna know more about it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome again. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we kicked off a new series that we are calling The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus. And the, the, the basic premise about it is that when we look at the story, the historical story of this figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived in Judea 2,000 years ago, we see a power and we see a vitality that isn't present elsewhere. Like we, we haven't seen it in other historical records. And I'm not just talking about like a, like, a, like a supernatural power, but there's a power about the way he goes about things. Like one example I was thinking about this morning. Um, there's, a, there's a guy that we have an account of a guy, a, a leper who had leprosy. And in the first century um, Jewish context, uh, any skin disease was considered unclean. So you weren't allowed to be around it. Otherwise you would be deemed uh, societally, culturally unclean. And Jesus is starting to build a following. You know, people are starting to listen to him. And this leper comes forward quite boldly and says, will you, will you heal me? I know you can, which is already a bold claim. Like that's a lot of faith. And Jesus could heal him. He was already healing a lot of people. Um, and he could have done it so many different ways. But instead, the method that Jesus chose to heal this leper is he touched him. He touched the leper, thereby signifying that he's joining the leper in his social uncleanness. And he said, I am willing, be made clean. And so what we're trying to get at this series is that when we consider the story of Jesus, we see a power in the way he talks. We see a power in the fact that that leper was healed, 
A lot of people were healed physically. We see a power in the way he teaches. We see a power in the way he moves. We see a power in the way he dies. We see a power in his story that we don't see elsewhere. And he says this about himself because I know that there's people in this room who are maybe not cool with the whole God thing, the Jesus thing. They're trying it on. They're curious. He says about his own ministry. He goes, look, even if you don't believe my words, believe my works. Look what I do. Because a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. You know, um, you know what you are, you know what is filling your life based on what your life produces. And so we kicked off last week by saying, uh, you know, using Erwin Schrodinger, the Nobel uh, winning physicist, um, how does a thing live? A thing lives by consumption. It eats, it drinks, it breathes. And whatever it consumes, it metabolizes. It changes into energy, energy that leads to either life or death. So when we look at the way of Jesus, like basically we see and we go, what is he eating? I want whatever he's having because there is something present in whatever he's metabolizing. There's a power that's coming out of his life that I don't see elsewhere. So what we're gonna do over this next bit of time, next couple of weeks, is we're gonna examine the practices that Jesus engaged in to sort of see what he consumed. And he told us, he tells us where this abundant life comes from, where this power comes from. From John 5, he writes, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I don't have a power intrinsic to myself. My power is 100% from my perfect relationship with God, with my continual openness of my heart and my mind to God, to the father. That conduit is what you're witnessing when you see me heal and when you see me teach and, and everything, when you're, when you're confused and um, awed, that, that, that power is through my conduit in a relationship with the Father. And so we're gonna look at these practices that he takes on. And the first one that we're examining today, um, after I just said we're looking at practices, I, I, I wanna sort of pull that back and say it's not a practice actually. The first one we're looking at today is less of a practice and more of a way, more of a commitment. And that is the commitment of solitude. Solitude. Solitude is a commitment. It's a commitment to a space and a time to intentionally be alone with God. A.W. Tozer writes, one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace, which we encounter, is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular, right? You may have heard those terms before. Basically, it's saying the spaces where God is and the spaces where God is not. But Tozer writes, Jesus himself knew no division. As he moved among people, he was poised and restful. We find that this is very commonly our temptation, that we divide our lives into multiple segments. We have our family life, we have our work life, we have our friends life, we have our hobby life, and we have our, our God life, our religion life, our sacred life. But what we find when we do that, when God is just one part of our lives, then the common denominator through all of these is me, just me. So I am the one 
who lives out of my own resources, out of my own energy into all these different areas. And what I find is my life becomes very fractured from the inside out. It just, it runs out of energy. Uh, I don't know how to um, be in good relationship, both in work and in my, my marriage and with my friends and in my work. I don't know how to do all of these things out of my own power. But when we look at Jesus, we see that he didn't separate his life between this is the space where God is and this is the space where God is not. That's not the way he did it. Rather, God wasn't one, you know, slice of pie in the pie chart. God was the source of his life. So wherever he went, whether he went to family or whether he went to work or whether he went to hobbies, he didn't go on his own power and he didn't leave God behind. That relationship, that conduit was constantly being tapped and accessed wherever he went, which means there are no secular places. There are no godless places. And this is the paradox of the commitment to solitude, which is why I call it a commitment. This is the paradox. The more you commit to separate yourself from the world for intentional times and spaces to be alone with God, the less separated your world feels. The more you commit to separate yourself from your world, from your work, from your friends, from your family, the more you commit to separate yourself for intentional times and space with God, the less separated your world feels. Your world begins to feel more whole, more alive, more empowered. Why? Because you're not living on your own strength. You're bringing your relationship with, with life, with God into those spaces. So I love the way Wendell Berry puts it, who's a, a poet and agriculturalist and a prophet. And he writes this in a, one of his poems. He goes, when that's the case, you'll find that there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. That is to say, there is nowhere in the world where God is not. There's only places where God is allowed to move and act freely. And there are places where God is not allowed to move and act freely. And solitude, solitude trains us to know this, that the world is not divided between sacred and secular, not at all. It's divided between where God is allowed to move and desecrated, where God is not. So that's what we see in Jesus. We see someone who has intentionally structured his life, who commits himself to space and time to get away from it all and to be alone with God. And in that commitment, he brings whatever he finds there, he brings that into his ministry. He brings that into his life. So that's why he says ridiculous stuff. And we're like, I don't know how to interpret that. And that's why he does things like touch a leper and heal him. So he simultaneously makes the leper clean and also makes himself unclean. I don't know what to do with that, right? It comes out of that relationship with the father. And just a couple examples uh, from the gospels, kind of picked out of random. Luke 4, verse one and two, or just verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He went by himself. Later on, or in Mark's gospel, we read very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5, yet the news about him spread all the more 
so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see this constantly throughout the stories about him. It's the first thing he does after being commissioned by God. He, he withdraws to lonely places to recharge. He withdraws to solitude to grieve. He spends a night on the mountain by himself before he calls his 12 disciples. In distress, it's this regular rhythm. He intentionally incorporates into his life moments where he separates himself from everything and goes and gets alone in solitude. What's he doing there? What's he doing? Well, as he says, I have no life in and of myself. I can do only what I see the Father doing. I can do only what I see the Father doing. So solitude is a commitment, but it's a commitment to a conversation with God. It's a commitment to a conversation with God. And I think what's so interesting as I was looking into this, I was reminded of an interview from the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. And she had this really, it was a really fascinating, you should go listen to that podcast. It's really good, by the way. Um, but there was this, this one interview where she writes and, and, and she's talking and she goes, a long time ago, I interviewed Kwame Anthony Appiah, who in the meantime has become an ethicist columnist in the New York Times. He's a philosopher. He has studied how moral change happens across history across cultures. And one of the things he offered me that has been a gift of that conversation I've carried forward ever since is the original meaning of the word conversation. It is not just about words passing between mouths and ears. It's about shared life. And I've been thinking ever since, listening is about bringing our lives into conversation. The original meaning of the word conversation is not shared words, but a shared life. And lo and behold, you go look it up and it is. <laughs> From the mid 14th century where you see this word develop. These are the definitions of the word conversation when it first emerged. A place where one lives or dwells is a conversation. To keep company with is a conversation. A general course of actions or habits, manner of conducting oneself in the world, is a conversation. It comes when you break it down, come, which means with, and versare, which means to turn. So to turn with, to walk with. To have a conversation is much more than to speak with another. It's to share your life with another. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> to have a conversation in the original sense of that word is much more than to speak with another. It's to share your life with another, which means, Words are only helpful insofar as they emerge out of the context of a shared life. Words are only helpful insofar as they emerge out of the context of a shared life, which sheds new light on our present society's inability to have a conversation, doesn't it? Because we don't have a shared life with one another. Our, our, the medium of our discourse has transitioned to online platforms. And as we learned in college in Communication 101, 90% of communication is nonverbal. 90% of communication, of understanding is nonverbal. And of course it is, because the conversation is not about the words. 10% is the words. 90% is a shared life, a trust of one another. So it really confirms um, the, the, the unknown proverb, all those who open their mouths close their eyes. 
All those who open their mouths close their eyes through our philosophical commitments to individualism and consumerism, through our technologies and how they function. They're all oriented at telling us that our opinion, our words matter most. So we're all like those little newborn chickens uh, in, the, in the, the nest with their mouths, you know, up and just ch- chirping away. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. We all open our mouths and keep our eyes closed. We don't have shared lives. So we're not deep people, as Richard Foster writes. We're superficial people. And the tragedy is that our eternal welfare depends on us being able to hear. And we have trained our ears not to hear. What are we doing in those committed spaces and times of solitude? What is Jesus doing? He's sharing his life with God. And God is sharing his life with him. We're learning to have a real conversation, a real conversation with the source of life. I don't know where this is from, but I found this in my notes and I really like it. It says, for it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. Which is why I I sort of, I try to hedge when we talk in these spaces, because I know not all of us here uh, believe in God or are in relationship with God. And that's awesome. You are welcome here. This is a community. We're figuring this out, the spiritual journey together. But I, I sort of hedge on this because I recognize that even words can be unhelpful if they aren't coming from a shared life. That words sort of confirm what we've already experienced in the conversation that we're having with God. So the other spiritual practices, what we're, what we're gonna talk about later on, like reading the Bible, hearing the story of God throughout the ages, like learning what prayer is, worship. All of these are not ends in themselves, but means to bring people to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Words are only helpful in the context of a shared life, which is why solitude is a commitment not a practice. You're committing to a conversation. And we're all in relationships all the time. We have good friends, we're married, we're, we're in relationships. Conversations change all the time. Words change. What doesn't change is the commitment for my wife and I to keep showing back up to the conversation. And in that commitment, we are transformed. We learn to trust one another. We learn who the other person is. We we receive the other person's life into us. So we can fill that space, that commitment to solitude. We can fill that space with all sorts of things. We can fill it with prayer and scripture and meditation and worship, all that. But before any of those words fill the space, the commitment itself is to a shared life. Which is why I talked about last week, one of the things that I'm starting off this year is a a set time where I wake up and where I go to bed. So I wake up early and the first thing I do is I go sit out before anyone else is awake in my house, um, including my dog. He doesn't come out with me anymore, which kind of hurts my feelings a little bit, but whatever. And I sit in my chair and I sit in silence first. And then I do my Lectio Divina journal 
and then I pray, and then I read, and I fill it with other practices. But that the commitment to get in that space is the solitude, where I'm saying, God, source of life, show me who you are. Fill me so that wherever I go today, you're coming with me. You're the power that animates me. Solitude is a commitment to a conversation with God. And the reason why we have to start with this is because we find that solitude has always been where God is found. Always. And one of the most important stories for the Jewish people in the Hebrew scriptures, it tells of the prophet Elijah. And the prophet Elijah, a lot of stuff has just gone down, but he's very depressed right now. He's very anxious. He's very depressed. He doesn't know what's about to happen. Uh, uh, the, the king and queen of the northern tribe of Israel, they're trying to kill him right now. So he's running away and he runs to a mountain. Um, God also tells him to go to this mountain. So he ends up at this mountain. And this is one of the most important stories of Israel's scriptures. And this is what we read about Elijah's encounter with God by himself in intentional space and time of solitude. That's what we read. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The great forces of power, wind, earthquake, fire, water, Captain Planet, all of that. <laughs> the great forces of power are not the sources of true power. Which is why Israel was commanded, never build an idol. Never build, build a bird or a lion or whatever. Don't build something that says, oh, God's like that. I'm not. I'm not. The wind, the earthquake, the fire, the great sources of power. That's not the source of true power. The creator is the source of the power for the wind, earthquake, and the fire. And he is found, the impetus is found in a gentle whisper. Or if you read it in the original Hebrew, a better translation that you see in other translations might be sheer silence. The creator is found in sheer silence. God is spirit and God created the heavens and the earth from sheer overflow of his own substance, his own life. But God is not the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth and us included, we flourish only insofar as we are connected to the creator who is sharing his life with us. The, 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 the wind, the earthquake, the fire, their power flourishes only insofar 
as the sheer silence has given them ability to flourish. We come alive, friends, when we have a conversation with God who is found in silence. And I don't know if you caught this, check this. There was the sound of sheer silence. And then we read, Elijah heard it. Elijah heard the silence. And he put the cloak over his head and he stepped out. What was that sound? What is the sound of sheer silence? What is the sound of the essence of the creator? It's very tough to explain. Going back to what I said earlier, it's one of those that you have to experience. You have to commit yourself and make yourself available. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try because that's kind of my job. I love the way Mother Teresa put it. She was being uh, interviewed one time and they were talking about prayer, but you could tell by the way she answered, she was actually talking about solitude. She wasn't talking about prayer as in words, but she was talking about a conversation as a shared life. And Dan Rather was interviewing her and said, uh, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she goes, oh, I don't say anything, I just listen. And Dan Rather goes, okay, well, what does God say to you? And she goes, oh, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. <laughs> and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it anymore. Solitude is a commitment to a conversation with God. And if God is found in sheer silence, then sheer silence, the sound of sheer silence, if you'll go with me, is listening to God listen. And isn't that the essence of the purest relationship? Don't all that we want is to sit before someone else and stare them in the face and both of us remain quiet and neither of us feel awkward in each other's presence? That's an acting exercise. I did it in sixth grade acting class. It's really hard. <laughs> Try getting nose to nose with someone and remaining completely silent and staring them in the eyes and not turning your face away in shame or embarrassment. But looking and affirming through your look without a word, it's good that you're alive. And them affirming the same. It's good that you're alive. Listen to God, listen. That is the sound of sheer silence. If we're not too proud to look for it, we can find it in The Wind in the Willows, that classic text, which basically tells a story about mole um, and rat who don't do anything. <laughs> They're friends and it's awesome. And there's this scene where mole hears something, but rat doesn't hear it. And, and, and it just feels like it's silence. And Mole's like, do you hear that? And Rat's like, it's just silent. And they're in a boat and they're going down the bank. And, and, and he's like, no, 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 there's something. And Rat doesn't know what's going on. And then we read this. Then suddenly the Mole felt a great awe fall upon him. An awe that turned his muscles to water. He bowed his head and he rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. I love this line. It was an awe that smote and held him. It both destroyed him and held him firm. And without seeing, he knew it could only mean that some august presence was very, very near. Oh, gosh. It turned his muscles to water. 
the sound of sheer silence. To listen to God, listen. It's a moment that I had once. My father-in-law is a sailor. And a couple summers back, uh, he charted a sailboat. Um, and we went up from Seattle into the San Juan Islands, which are beautiful. But it's like this archipelago of islands, small islands that you can sort of dock your boat in and sleep on the boat. Um, and there was this one island we went to, and it was totally uninhabited. There seemed to be no, um, even though there was tons of plant life, there was no animals really. Um, you couldn't hear the sound of birds. It was just a small island. It was beautiful. And I got up, and I started walking around by myself. And friends, I've never been in the environment, especially when you live in New York, as we all know. But I'd never been in the environment that was so quiet. The silence was going to, like, impress me, compress me, and destroy me. It was so quiet. And as I walked, as I walked slowly, couldn't even hear my feet I was suddenly very overcome with the sense that I was seen. Maybe similar to Mole, I was seen and it was good that I was taking a walk in the silence. I'm seen and it's good that I'm alive. And in that moment, I, was, I recalled the very first chapter in Genesis where we're told that God once walked with us in the cool of the garden. Friends, I can't describe his voice. I can't because it's sheer silence. It's the sound of listening to God listen. You have to commit yourself to a conversation. You have to commit yourself to a shared life with God in solitude. And that committed conversation, that is then filled with all the other sounds. That is then filled with, with the sounds of worship when we sing hallelujah and the sounds of the text when we read the story of God's historical interaction with the world. It's filled with all those. But it's not, God's not those. He's deeper than that. He's the, the source that gives life to all of that. And this is what Jesus consistently did throughout his ministry, over and over. It was the refueling of his power so that all the healing, all the teaching, all the awe-inspiring moments were but an overflow of the sound of silence but an overflow of that conversation where he consistently listened to God listen. That's what filled him when he got up and went to the mountainside early in the morning to pray. So that's your first step. I know we've already sort of, you know, put the cart before the horse a little bit and gone with the Lectio Divina and, and prayer. And those are part of the practices and are awesome. But your first step is this commitment to a space and a time to be alone with God, just you. And I can't say fully what you'll hear, but I don't wanna leave you hanging. I wanna give you a hint for those who've never experienced it. When, when this great awe comes by and you f your muscles turn to water and you feel like you're gonna be smote and yet held firm in this peace. Because I do think there is one word that best characterizes listening to God listen. When you stare each other in the face and you're silent. I do think there's one word that is the core and the substance of God. And it's this word that we see dripping in Jesus's life, even if we can't name it. I wanna invite the, the worship team back up as I finish this, this last uh, quote. Because I wanna end today with a line from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, which is a great book 
Um, And this is how he concludes his story. He's basically making a case for Jesus. And this is what he concludes. And I think what he's getting at is just what I'm saying. That what Jesus heard, what Jesus encountered when he went on the mountainside to pray, what, what mole encountered of that presence, what I encountered on the San Juan Islands. This is the word that best characterizes what you're gonna encounter when you get alone with God. And I know some people in here might be really afraid. It's like, I haven't been alone with God in a while. What's he gonna say? This is what you're going to experience. Chesterton writes, the tremendous figure, meaning Jesus, the tremendous figure which fills the gospels, he towers in this respect above all the thinkers who have ever thought themselves tall. His power was natural, almost casual. The philosophers, they're proud of concealing their tears. He never concealed his tears. He showed them plainly on his open face at any daily sight, such as the far sight of his native city, Jerusalem. Yet he concealed something. Heartless businessmen and powerful politicians, they're proud of harnessing their anger. He never restrained his anger. He flung furniture down the front steps of the temple and he asked people how they expected to escape the fires of hell. Yet he did restrain something. I say it with reverence. There was in that shattering personality a thread that must be called shyness. There was something that Jesus hid from all people when he went up on a mountain to pray. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silence or his incessant need for solitude. There was some one thing too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth. And I often think it was his joy. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And I like to imagine when I finish this, that Jesus getting up early in the morning, tired, bedraggled, escaping the ministry, escaping the crowds, making his way in the silence up the mountainside, finding a perfect place of silence, falling onto his knees, opening his hands and bursting into laughter as the Father and the Spirit show up. Because the source of life has to be joy. (laughs) Who creates something, but not from an overflow of happiness? What you're gonna hear when you get quiet with God, no matter how afraid you are, you're gonna hear the same thing that made Julian of Norwich exclaim, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. You're gonna hear the source of life as you listen to God listen, as you stare into that face, you're gonna hear and experience something from the inside out erupt such that the purest expression of that as we sing will be hallelujah. Your heart will burst, you'll cover your face, 
laughing and crying, trying to hold it all in. And then who knows what will happen next. Then the conversation will unfold. But today, our invitation is to a committed space and time to share our life with God. So would you close your eyes with me? God, the story that you've written, the story that we see in Jesus is a creator so full of joy, so full of love that he can't stand one aspect of his creation, not one person, not one animal, not one stretch of land to be separated from him. The reason why the wind has power and the fire has power, the reason why Jesus has power is because they are united to life himself. They are united to the source that we could sum up with the word joy. It is an abundance and it's an overflow. It's a geyser that explodes from the inside out that says it's so good that you're alive. It's so good you're alive. I know what's happened. I know what you've done. I know what you think. I know what's been said to you. I know, but I want you to hear my voice, the voice found in silence that says, that makes you experience the truth. And the truth is, it is so good that you're alive. It is so good. Lord, we're all on a spiritual journey. You're pursuing all of us in this room. Whether people feel like they're here by accident, would they know right now they're not? That there is an august presence very, very near. And if they would make themselves available, who knows what they might hear. And for those of us who have been on this journey and, um, and as we step into 2019 as a community, as you're inviting us into these set practices and times to get alone with you, would we experience what Mole experienced? Would we feel, experience that presence in the silence that melts our muscles to water and that perhaps makes us laugh from how ridiculous this thing called grace is? How ridiculous this story that God would love us so much that he would come as one of us that he would join us where we are, that he would even experience death. He would allow us to kill him and join us in every aspect of our existence. He would join us in death and he would be raised to life again. Why? Because life is deeper than death. Death has no power over life. So over the next 30 seconds, I just want to give you a moment to listen to what God might say to you, what he might invite you into. And I want to encourage you to not censor yourself.
The Lord says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Seek me and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We trust these words. Even if we're not so sure we believe them, Jesus, we see a power in your life and we step into it. So encourage every person in this room that you are more present to them than they can even begin to imagine or dream. And that you have good things stored up for them in yourself. If they would set aside time and space to sit in silence with you, to listen to you listen. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.